homeschooling started this week, so I just spent 45 minutes trying to find eight Spanish words in a word scramble. I mean... <laughs> the brazo is the arm in Spanish, yes. I love saying brazo. Brazo. It's my favorite word to say in Spanish. And I found it in the word scramble. I was like, oh, brazo, brazo. <laughs> love it. And I know some of you have asked, how is Player Profiler doing? How is Roto Underworld? How is Matt, Nate, and company going to survive this? And we're going to be just fine. We at Roto Underworld, thankfully, are not responsible for any full-time employees. We have a lot of contractors. So we pay out a lot of money to a lot of contractors, a lot of people you know in this business. And we've saved a lot knowing we plan to spend a lot this season. So we have reserves. I'm not worried. And you all continue to subscribe to the site. Man, that's the best way to ensure that this site never goes away. You enjoy playerprofiler.com? Great. Sign up for a subscription so you can access data analysis. You can look up all the players in any metric at any time. That's not just offensive players. It's defensive ends and linebackers, safeties, cornerbacks. And, of course, we're always talking about the Dynasty rankings on this show. We'll have Ryan McDowell from the Dynasty League Football to talk rankings. So our Dynasty rankings, our rookie rankings, also available to anyone that purchases the all-in package. And the beauty is, if you subscribe to the all-in option, then you also get a best ball free roll at the FFPC, a $35 value, or a $35 voucher for a startup Dynasty team. <laughs> And everybody wants to start up right now. Oh, yes. We have a Discord channel for patrons only. Patreon.com forward slash podfather. You want to get on our Discord channel and talk trades with other like-minded, sophisticated fantasy gamers? Do it. Become a patron now. Get access to our Discord channel. And they're putting together Dynasty startups on Discord. Just need to get 12 people. Boom. Brand new league. It's that easy. We're going to be just fine assuming the season starts. We just need a season. We, d we need that very badly. And I know that Kirk Herbstreet's already come out and said, hey, <laughs> we shouldn't have a season. It's too dangerous. Thanks, Kirk. Appreciate it. NFL doesn't kick off until mid-September, but appreciate your hot take. Couldn't appreciate anything less than what Kirk Herbstreet thinks the NFL should do five months from now. We need it. We need the season to start, and I don't see any reason why the season can't start without a vaccine. Because once a vaccine comes to market, that's when you know this epidemic will be completely crushed once and for all. But in the meantime, there is one tool that we must have to expedite the defeat of COVID-19, and that is the quick test. Of all the things the scientists are working to develop, the quick test is most important because if you can test someone and get the results back in 30 minutes to an hour, that changes everything. It changes the game. It's a game changer. A quick test allows players, coaches, and staff to show up at an empty stadium, get tested in the parking lot, and not be allowed in unless they test negative. So you can have sweaty individuals holding on to one another in close contact without fear of transmitting a deadly virus as long as everyone has been tested before walking into that stadium. 
Is that kind of testing going to be scalable to allow for fans? I don't think so. I mean, there are possible solutions to allow fans into these stadiums, but who the hell needs to think about the fans in the stands at this point? Because I'm seeing these questions on Twitter. You think anyone will be attending a football game this fall? Probably not, but one step at a time. I have those over here speculating that there might be fans in the stands, and then you have Kirk Herbstreit over here saying there's not going to be any games at all. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. The most valuable thing to these players and these team executives are the television contracts. You just need to focus on playing the games and making sure they're televised, and that's it. That's the number one priority. Nothing else really matters. They just need to be able to show up safely, test negative, and play ball. That's all that really needs to happen. You don't need any more elaborate solution to flicking the lights back on and playing some sports. But there are ways that NFL teams can protect their players. Training camp, for example. Maybe you find an alternate destination for your training camp. American Samoa. American Samoa has a a long football culture, and the athletes and the coaches can say to their families, listen, I'm not going to see you for at least a month. We're going to an island where the team has set up a facility that is self-contained with medical care and food and strict testing to anyone that enters the grounds. And before I get on that privately chartered plane, I need to be quarantined, I need to test negative, and I need to board that plane and fly it wherever Football teams have figured out they can hold training camp, and maybe it's four teams per island. The NFL has that kind of money to put a bubble around their players, unlike any other sport is capable of, because there's more at stake for the players and the coaches than any other sport. No other athletes have shorter careers than professional football players. They know it's now or never to earn their millions. So this is not going to be a tough sell to the players. If the coaches can put a reasonable proposal in front of the NFL Players Association to ensure that their risk of contracting the virus is minimized, I think the players sign off on it unanimously. Now, there's going to be a handful of players that were contemplating retirement and they're just going to retire. They don't want those problems. Understood. It's dangerous. The other advantage that the sport has is it's already dangerous. You're already risking severe brain trauma on every play. Add the risk of COVID-19 to the pile for an NFL player. So for a lot of reasons, first and foremost, the calendar, this particular league just happened to miss the pandemic's peak. But beyond the calendar, there's a number of advantages the NFL has. Now, the disadvantage is the number of players. That's the advantage the NBA has. The NBA could just say, hey, we're going to go lock ourselves in a gym with a couple trainers and some food rations. And you can turn on the television cameras in a couple weeks. 24 players total. 14 players total of those that actually get major minutes. A lot more players on NFL teams means a lot more testing and a lot more discipline and more difficult to distance. But it can be done. Starting this season on time can be done. But if we don't have a quick test by September, then Kirk Herbstreet will be correct. All of this hinges on a rapid response test. Without it, every sports media organization, not just Roto Underworld, every single one is in real trouble because even those that cover all the sports, the generalists, the NFL is the Leviathan. 
It dominates the ratings. It dominates the subscribers. It dominates the traffic. It dominates the ad revenue. It dominates the content. It dominates everything across all sports media platforms. It is that shining hope in the distance. For sports, and economists talk about pent-up demand. Oh, when the restrictions lift. Oh, no one will have any money. But oh, well, people will be lined up around the block to get these products and services. Probably not. The pent-up demand fallacy is driving a lot of the false hope in the economy right now. But when you talk about the NFL, it's real. The pent-up demand for sports, if and when the NFL turns the lights on on this sport, oh, that is that, that's going to be real. And for many in sports media, it will be the lifeline they need. So personal protective equipment, ventilators, top of the list. But on the list... On the list of must-haves to save society, the quick test. The faster we can mass-produce that thing, the faster we can kill this monster. And then we can see who the primary back for the Houston Texans is going to be. I'd like to know. I have no idea right now. But we have two options currently. David Johnson and Duke Johnson. I mean, can you believe it? Remember my advice to Dynasty Leaguers? 2015 rookie drafts. Selecting in the back half of the first round. What did I say? What was my advice? Just grab a Johnson. You know, and ideally, one of those Johnsons slips, and you can grab both Johnsons. Duke Johnson and David Johnson. Whatever you do, just grab a Johnson. Ideally, you grab both Johnsons. And look who took that advice to heart. Bill O'Brien. He's the one. He's the one that's, that's actually following my advice at the NFL level. That does not fill me with confidence about my process, if that's my ally, right? But it does make sense that the guy that would grab two Johnsons has a pussy chin. Like, the guy with the pussy chin is holding both Johnsons. Like, that just makes sense. It makes sense. If you have a pussy for a chin, you're going to want Johnsons. (laughs) Anyone with an all-in subscription whether you renewed in February or you're, or you're about to sign up for one, email me, podfather at rotounderworld.com. And as long as you've never played fantasy football at the FFPC before, you qualify for a best ball free roll or a dynasty voucher. Just email me and I will hook you up. Just like Ryan McDowell hooked us up, gave us all the answers. And we talked some Lynn Bowden. So be sure to follow Ryan at RyanMC23 on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program! His second trip on the big show. It is Ryan McDowell. He is now the co-owner over at Dynasty League Football, DLF. He is the best creator of Dynasty Leagues I have ever known. Ryan McDowell. Talk to me. How are you doing, brother? I'm glad to be on here. We're persevering. Yes. We're persevering, and we're going to make it. We just need to make sure the season happens. I'm drafting a memo to Roger Goodell with ideas to how we can make sure the season happens. But as long as we get some leagues somewhere in the world starting to kick off, that will create some momentum. We have the NFL draft happening on schedule, continue to create momentum. All that matters is the, the season happens. That's all I care about right now. That's my singular focus. Just make sure this fucking season happens. Because if it doesn't happen, 
I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. Maybe, maybe a private island. All NFL players on a private island. Yes! They could start the games at 6 a.m. and then it's just one game at a time. It's like Rick League. Yeah, it's just one game at a time all weekend. They can start, fuck it, start on Friday. There's probably not going to be high school games. So you start the games on Friday and you're just one after another. No stadium, no fans on some island. Doesn't matter. The players can pull their resources and pay for the island themselves without even the owners, without the owners even getting involved. The players have a lot at stake. They make half the revenue from the league. If there is no revenue, these guys lose one out of a precious few years of earnings in their profession. The average player plays for just a handful of years. So every single one of those seasons is precious to the players, even more than the owners and the coaches. So they need to all band together and figure out a way to play. Fuck the fans. The fans don't have to be there. There doesn't have to be anybody watching. Just make sure they can play on a field and there's a television camera somewhere recording the action. And then so we can have the stats and then we can all exhale. What what are you thinking right now? What are what are your chances that 75% chance. 75% chance. I'm in the 75% chance column. That they're that they still play. I believe yes. they should play, find a way to play, that they will figure out a solution that is safe and effective and feasible. I think Kirk Herbstreet needed to get out there with his hot take that they should cancel the season. And I want to continue to collect more data, especially on transmission and therapies, so that we can make a, a well-informed decision based on data how to proceed with the 2020 season. It is too early to speculate on whether or not there will be a season, and it's certainly too early to state definitively whether a season should happen or not, Kirk. So I'm happy to hear from Kirk Herbstreet in two or three months, not in March. In March, Kirk Herbstreet needs to shut the fuck up. People need hope right now. They don't need to be demoralized. Thank you, Kirk. Asshole. One more good one in there. I may be Pollyanna here with my 75% chance. The rosy outlook from the Podfather. I get it. I get it. Right? Uh, I'm an optimist. But why not be an optimist in March when the season's not scheduled to start until September anyway? Kirk. Fucking guy. We, we need optimism right now. This is a good thing. 75% chance. Where are you at? Uh, yeah. I think that's, that's probably about where I am as well. I think... Uh... I'm still feeling optimistic myself. I guess my concern is they've already canceled all the all of the OTAs. So it's like, what is the domino effect of no no OTAs? Maybe they have to start training camp later. Does that push things back, or do we just shorten uh, do we shorten preseason things like that? There could be a shortened season. We could have twelve games. It could start in October, fourteen game season. That's all on the table, and that's fine as long as the season happens and we can have a season. We've had strike-shortened seasons. It's not crazy to shorten the season. We can also extend the season out into the following March. Just, just give us football. The alternative is these guys don't get paid, and I can tell you they want to get paid. These guys have mortgages. These guys have auto loans. These guys have families with bills. 
They want to play the profession they were born to play. They will find a way. We have many months to the season supposed to start. I believe they are going to find a way. That's the bottom line. And it starts with the NFL draft and making sure this NFL draft happens on time. And currently we are on schedule to have the NFL draft in some conference room in some unnamed location. What's the craziest NFL draft take you've seen on social media this offseason? It's a good question. I feel like I've I, I try to avoid the crazy takes, first of all. No one must have blown your hair back. Can we talk about Jalen Hurts a little bit? Yeah. I'm seeing some Jalen Hurts as fantasy or dynasty, not necessarily quarterback one, but QB one upside in the class. Right. He could end up being the the most valuable dynasty quarterback in this class. That that seems a little crazy to me. I don't see it. I think his upside is number three right. quarterback in this class because we have Joe Burrow and Tua Tungavaloa. I've been practicing. I've been practicing. Just say it fast. Say it fast. Nobody will notice. Tungavaloa. Oh, perfect. Yeah, I really got it there. So <laughs> these two guys have two of the best college QBRs of all time. Right. So no, so no, Jalen Hurts isn't going to be better than them, especially in Dynasty, where you have these guys for their careers. Maybe an early career season, Jalen Hurts melts faces with his rushing, goes full Konami code on us. Great. He can do that for a season, but I'd rather have Joe Burrow or Tua, especially in Superflex. They both have super high ceilings and much higher floors than Jalen Hurts. I agree with you. Yeah, and I, th- I think the floor point is is the most important one. Sure, I, I like Jalen Hurts. I think he has a high ceiling. You factor in the rushing, everything's looking good. I'd rather have him than Jordan Love in a dynasty super flex league or any dynasty league. Sure, um, I don't. I don't think that's hot takey at all. Until Jordan Love goes in the top ten, eh, maybe it could happen. I know. I know. Jeff Radcliffe thinks it's going to happen. It could happen. I think I think there's going to be a, a battle for these guys, especially once Tua and and uh, and Burrow go in the top three. Teams teams are going to be chasing each other. We we might see Jacob Eason as a first round NFL draft pick. It's very possible. Yeah, Jacob Eason out of Washington. It's all very possible. There's also going to be a bunch of quarterbacks that end up losing their jobs and will never be heard from again in the NFL. Guys like Derek Carr, like the clock is ticking. Like if you haven't traded them in Superflex and 2QB leagues, I mean, what are you waiting for? You think they're going to be the starting quarterback at the end of the season if the season happens? No. We have to make room for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven new quarterbacks. Not everyone can have a job when the music stops. Guys, start trading your veteran quarterbacks, your fringe veteran quarterbacks, any fringy veteran quarterback should be moved in Superflex, and if you have to sell low or add him as a throw-in to help lubricate a deal, do it. That's fine. That's fine. It's over. You should have traded Derek Carr two years ago. Yeah. You fucked up. Now, just get what you can for him. Give me a bold prediction for the NFL draft. This is one I'm scared of a little bit, um, because I, I definitely like the player like almost everybody does, but... I'm seeing Jonathan Taylor in the third round of NFL mock drafts, and I'm starting to to think of that as as a strong possibility. I, I hope that doesn't happen. Oh, I want no. him to have that draft capital, but 
you look at how free agency, uh, how free agency went, how so many teams that we were sure would draft uh, a, a second round running back might not draft a second round running back right now. Those those spots are running out. I'm worried JT is a third rounder. Yeah, and teams that need running backs like Houston don't have picks. Yeah. This is the problem. This is the problem. When you're trying to fit running backs to teams based on the picks they actually have, you run out of slots very quickly. It is a worry yeah. that we're going to see some of these top backs leak into the third round, and so be it. So be it. Le'Veon Bell is a third-round pick. It's okay. It's okay. You got to go day two, though. You start going in fourth, fifth round, I start to get very worried. There I'm worried for Keyshawn Vaughn. I'm worried for Joshua Kelly. I'm worried for Eno Benjamin. I would like to see them go in the third round, but uh, there just doesn't seem to be enough chairs when the music stops. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, I think it's five running backs by the end of the third round. Maybe I'm missing one, but AJ Dillon, maybe AJ Dillon could creep in there. Yeah, yeah, AJ Dillon would. He'd be he's the wild card to be drafted in the third round. I think. Yeah, he's that's a that's a good call. And Zach Moss. Oh, maybe. My perception of NFL teams is they like A.J. Dillon, they like Zach Moss more than we do. Right. So that's why I think they could go. But when you look at who actually has picks in these rounds and what their needs are, it's hard to build a case that they're going to go running back. That's why so many of these running backs are left out of these mocks because many NFL draft analysts are going through this exercise and they're not matching a lot of these running backs with teams until day three. And look at the free agent contract values. Melvin Gordon, $16 million for two years. NFL teams are slowly, year by year, incrementally realizing, okay, a running back really doesn't matter. And that's going to infiltrate the NFL draft, just like it has free agency. It has to. Of course it does. If you're not willing to pay Melvin Gordon at all, or Todd Gurley at all, you can use a second-round pick on a running back? It starts to not make sense. So we may have to change our whole our whole assumption about what draft capital means, what quality draft capital is for running backs. We may have to change the measuring system for NFL running back draft capital. That's a good point. And then if a running back goes in the first round, like a Josh Jacobs, then we have to put an even bigger premium. Like, that's a really big deal. Or a really bad pick. Or both. <laughs> <laughs> a really big deal for their dynasty value for sure yeah you know, they're definitely gonna get gonna get carries but it's possible man it's possible that Clyde Edwards Hilaire is the first running back selected he's on the board on the FanDuel sports book as a potential first running back selected Cam Akers is not it's between DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins and Clyde Edwards Hilaire those are the four guys wow yeah it's a long shot, but it's very possible. NFL teams love guys like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and they just can't get the college football playoffs and national championship games out of their head. That vividness bias overwhelms them. Mike Williams, top 10 pick, coming off neck surgery. What? What? Oh, no, I saw that touchdown in the national championship game. That still matters. Kelvin Benjamin in the first round? Yeah. Yeah, you didn't see? That post pattern to win the game from Jameis Winston? Remember that? Yeah, well, that perception filters down into the actual picks that get made. Clyde is an interesting one for sure. And I, I do think he's, I don't think he'll be the first running back off the board. And, and I don't think he deserves to be. 
I, I do think he can translate to the NFL because he is a he's a good pass catching back, and and I think that's that's good enough. Um, I don't think he's the next MJD. We've seen some of those comps. I'm kind of more comfortable with Devontae Freeman, uh, but even he gave us an overall RB one season. I don't necessarily see that in Edward Solaire's future, but I think kind of even taking a step back, the entire LSU program from last year, you know, we, we saw, we saw Joe Brady come in and turn these guys who were just fine as sophomores or juniors, Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson, Clyde Edwards, Alaire, they were fine. Thaddeus Moss. And now they're superstars. They put together one of the best college football seasons of all time, Joe Ever. Burrow's the Heisman yeah. and and the number one pick. And Justin Jefferson's a lock to go in the first round. And Clyde Edwards-Alaire is a, a top five running back in the NFL draft and, and in fantasy. And um, I, it I like all of It filters down to tight end. It yeah. filters down to tight end. Steven Sullivan and Thaddeus Moss, top 10 tight ends. I, I like all of the players on, on, their, on their own individually, but I just... I'm starting to wonder how much of that is offensive coordinator Joe Brady, who's now with the Panthers, and how how are these players going to translate? Like I said, I think Clyde's fine; he can he can catch passes, um, but it's it's at least a conversation worth having. It's absolutely a conversation worth having. How much does it matter that you're surrounded by the best weaponry in the sport, especially if you're going to make the first overall selection be Joe Burrow? You have to be nervous that he had the best supporting cast we've ever seen. Someone somewhere was feeding these guys vitamins that no one else had access to. Someone somewhere was feeding these guys plays that no one had ever seen. And the the confluence of all this talent coming together all at once, like Voltron in the bayou, it makes you wonder because we've seen this time and time and time again where guys look like one thing at the college level, like a Kelvin Benjamin. He looked like this unstoppable monster at the wide receiver position in the context of the Florida State offense with Jameis Winston at quarterback. And he looked like something completely different once he's surrounded by professionals. So I do question everything we saw at LSU. And I'm not running out to best-case scenario on Joe Burrow, certainly not Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. If there's one player that I trust... It is Justin Jefferson because he came from nothing, because he brought himself up and crafted himself. He built a prospect profile out of a two-star prospect, and then he delivered at the combine. That was huge to me. That was the sneaky best combine that we saw was because the whispers were, oh, Justin Jefferson, he wasn't a top prospect coming out of high school. He's going to be slow. He was a system wide. He was a system player at LSU. You watch him at the combine, disappoint people, and then he runs a four four three at six one two zero two. That's a one zero four point nine eighty third percentile speed score with eightieth percentile burst. And it's like, oh no 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 no. The world just got him wrong. Okay, they got him wrong. He was never a two star prospect. They just didn't know about him because he went to some small school in Louisiana, ended up at LSU because it was a local school, and then boom. He became what he became. So I trust the athleticism I'm seeing with Justin Jefferson that that combined with the production is going to translate. We didn't get that from Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Remember, we were waiting for the sub-4540 from Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and he didn't deliver it. He's the one that actually delivered the subpar athleticism 
and shot the warning flares off in the sky that, hey, a lot of this production might have been derivative of the system. Yeah, I think I think with Edwards Alaire, he just he is what he is. And if you're looking at him as the RB1 and and I know there are there are people out there that that do consider him the the top back and wow. I mean guys I respect. So I just uh, I'm not there in, in this class. He's he's basically locked in as as RB5 for me. Uh, I think there's a big gap between he and Akers or Dobbins who whoever you might have uh right above him. I 100% agree with that assessment. Yeah, and then and and there's a significant gap between he and uh, the next guy, Moss, Vaughn, whoever that might be for you. And that's because we can project at least an additional round of draft capital for Edward Solaire, and everyone below him could easily slip to day three, as we talked about earlier. Which pro day are you saddest is not going to happen? Uh, JK Dobbins. I mean, we didn't, we didn't see him work out at the, at the combine. So I I think it's him by default. Uh, I will say in a typical year, I, I don't put a lot of stock in, in pro days anyway. Uh, but with, with a player like him who skipped the, uh, skipped the combine, then it it of course becomes uh, more crucial. So, uh, I think we saw enough, in games to, to get a feel, but definitely uh, would like to have more data on him. He supposedly runs a sub four four forty with incredible burst, forty four inch vertical. You believe it? I do believe it. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, again, I think we've seen enough um, on on film. We've Ohio State has done their own testing. He went through some of the testing uh, entering college. So yeah, yeah. It's it's out there. It's out there. He's an athlete, and he's going to be good in the NFL. That's for sure. Which wide receiver prospect rose the most during this offseason for you? It's got to be Denzel Mims. Um, and he was one that, like you know, like most people, I was not really on him as, as more than a guy to take in the second round of, of rookie drafts. And uh, He wasn't on my second round radar at all until the Senior Bowl. Yeah, so... He he comes into the Senior Bowl. He dominates. He's the best player at the Senior Bowl, basically. And and now people are starting to get interested and in throwing him out as a sleeper. Uh, but but the concern is, well, he's not going to have he's not going to have the testing numbers, so he's going to be missing that piece. Right? How high can he get? Right. I remember. Yeah. And then and then the combine happened. Yeah. So now he's got now he's got film. Now he's got uh, competition at Senior Bowl. Now he's got. The metrics, the numbers, the athleticism. Yep. And now, now he's a first rounder. Hey, uh, Ryan, did he skip any of the the workouts at the combine? Like most of these guys, uh, almost everybody did, and I think that was not necessarily, um, you know, it, it's the the new scheduling of the combine, which was kind of a disaster. But I don't think he skipped any. He skipped none. He skipped none, and his worst metric in the athleticism department. 1109 agility score, 67th percentile, everything else above the 90th percentile at 63207. So, yeah. He's the truth. Yeah, not not too bad. I mean, you, you we throw that that phrase around a lot and and usually it's it's not uh not appropriate, but checks every box. He literally checks every box. He's done it all. I, I at this point, the only thing really going against him is just such a crowded uh, wide receiver tier. There's just so many options. That's right. A lot of these guys can go in the first round. 
Others could slip to the late second, like DK Metcalf last year. We just don't know. You could see Mims going in the first round. You could see Ruggs going in the first round. Again, there are only so many teams that need wide receiver in a deep class that's not simply deep at wide receiver. It's deep at edge rusher. It's deep at offensive line. And teams want to win at the point of attack, first and foremost. Yeah, the the entire wide receiver class is going to be a fun one to track this this draft season because we've heard the, you know, there's going to be 30 receivers drafted in the first two days, which is, which is just unreal. That's not possible. Thanks Mel. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, uh, not on board with that, but just that that would even be thrown out. And if we have, if we have two thirds of that, I can see the third round being a complete bonanza. I can see just one after another popping off in the third round. I can absolutely see that. Yeah, so Mims, even with all that he's done uh, to to kind of prove himself as a prospect, I'm still seeing him. We're we're running mock drafts at Dynasty League Football, rookie mocks, Mm -hmm. and he's still falling to the early second of some of those drafts. Oh, I would love to get him at the 203, the 204. Oh, if we could get Mims. Oh, my God. Please, please make that happen. And if he's one of those guys that slips to the late second, early third, then... It'll be a lot easier to get him in the mid-second round. So I hope that happens. I hope that happens, that he slips a little bit and he's then available in the mid-second round, but I doubt it. I, I I really doubt it. I also doubt CeeDee Lamb falls out of the first round. He looks the part of the true alpha of this class. Is he the best in class and by how much? I do think he's the best. He's he's my wide receiver one in rookie rankings right now. But I still think it's close. I'm I'm still on board with Judy. I know there are some reasons to doubt him, uh, but I think they're both going to be certainly first rounders and uh, come off the board in the top half of the first round most likely. Um, so I'm I'm still happy with either of those in the top top five or six of dynasty rookie drafts. But Lamb, yeah, Lamb is my wide receiver one. I think. Going back to the conversation about just how many we will see and could the depth hurt them, what we just don't know is how NFL GMs and coaches feel about the the tiers, right? Is, we don't know. Is Lam- yeah. Right. So is it Lamb and Judy and Ruggs? Are those the guys that are in the top tier? And How much time are they spending on football Twitter? Because if, it's, if they're on football Twitter, they're going to put Rager in there. That's true. That's true. So, but, but how much gap, if those are the top three and those are the three that we see being, being mocked in the top 15 or 18 of, of NFL mock drafts. And if those are the top tier, how much of a gap is there between those and Rager or Mems or Chenault or, um, you, you know, any Justin Jefferson, any of these others, T Higgins, we have no idea, but yeah, you know, how much did T Higgins pro day hurt him? I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> We can't wait for this draft to happen. It's still a month away, though. Yeah, so if the tier gap is small, then NFL teams could look at it the same way fantasy and dynasty owners often do. Why take a guy at at 11? Why take C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy at 11 when I can have Denzel Mims or LaVisca Chenault in the second round? Value over replacement. There is a guy that understands value over replacement in every single NFL front office. And when... You think you can get Rager in the second. Why would you pick Judy in the mid-first when you can get a stud left tackle or edge rusher at that spot? That's the decision point, the opportunity cost equation that these teams are running 
when they're picking, especially in that mid-first round area where these wide receivers are supposed to go, I'm just not sure they will. I want to find out, and I got to see it. Because what we don't have in this class is a true five-star prospect. I think Lamb is as close as we get, and I think he's very close to being a five-star prospect. If he were, say, 15 pounds heavier, I would check the box next to him, five-star prospect. Because when you look at the breakout finder, before he even gets drafted, he's number two in our breakout finder, which just looks at college metrics, production, and athleticism, and If the machine thinks he's that good before the draft, having no idea he's mocked in the mid-first round, then he's going to have a very high breakout rating post-draft. So I'm excited to see that, and I think he's head and shoulders the best, but I think it's very close between Judy and Rager. Are you there with Rager, or do you have someone else in that top three? I think the wide receiver three conversation, both in the NFL draft and in in fantasy and dynasty rookie drafts, is one of the most interesting topics of the offseason because again, there's so many options. Rager has certainly uh, made his case. Jeff, Justin Jefferson, Henry Ruggs. Um, yeah. So, so T Higgins, I, I think I've, I've even seen we, he's kind of fallen a little bit since the combine or since his pro day that you mentioned uh, Judy versus Rager. I'm, I've still got Judy uh, and yeah. I, I don't think it's that close, honestly. Um, I, I don't know. Rager, Rager's uh, combine was a little disappointing, and I, and I think they both have similar questions. He's a perplexing prospect. No one looks like him. There's not a wide receiver that has Jalen Rager's stature and athletic profile in the player profiler database. It just doesn't exist. So we don't have good comps for him. That's the fear with Jalen Rager. His production and his special teams activity was super promising, but He's far from bust-proof. If I had to pick the most bust-proof of all, it would either be Denzel Mims or Justin Jefferson in that wide receiver three slot. Oh, right, yes. If I was going straight on upside, upside only, it would be Chenault. I think Chenault has the most upside, but also it has become a complete black box prospect because he tried to participate in the athleticism testing hurt. So we're not sure what Chenault is, but... The high end for Chenault is alpha wide receiver from this class in retrospect. So I'm excited to see what he ends up becoming in the NFL. But if you have to shake it all out and take the guy that has the floor upside combo, I would go Rager. But I understand why you're so perplexed by him. Henry Ruggs is even more polarizing, though. There's some consensus that Rager's good. There's not with Ruggs. The NFL seems to think Ruggs is a lot better than fantasy gamers do. Yeah, Ruggs is is definitely a fun one to to look at. I think he's I think he's so polarizing because NFL teams are chasing Tyreek Hill or chasing Marquise Brown. We saw Brown as the uh, he was he was the wide receiver one last year, right? He was first wide receiver drafted, number one wide receiver off the board in the draft. Yeah, yeah, at 165 pounds. <laughs> Still crazy, still crazy. But we know in a, the NFL is a copycat league. We know 31 other teams are trying to find Tyreek Hill. And because of that, we see Henry Ruggs mocked as the first receiver drafted or the 15th overall pick to the Broncos. Or Oh, I would like him on the Broncos, though. That wouldn't hurt Sutton. No, I would like him on the Broncos, too. I want the Broncos to take a receiver that helps Sutton that doesn't hurt him 
And Ruggs' ability to stretch the field without commanding a huge target share would be perfect for Sutton. Sure, it's it's a great spot. But right now it seems that, and all we really have to go on is mock drafts and, and articles like that. And, uh, but based on all that, Henry Ruggs is going to be a top three receiver drafted and a top 20 overall pick. And a first round pick in dynasty rookie drafts. Fantasy players want to value that type of player more in the late first, early second round. I mean, that's even last year after Marquise Brown was the first wide receiver drafted, he still had a second round ADP in dynasty rookie drafts. Why he did. So that's where, that's where dynasty players want to take this kind of player. It's not really a surprise based on how much time we spend analyzing this information that a lot of times the dynasty leaguers are right where the NFL is wrong. We're certainly going to see that with Tyler Johnson. Oh, where is Tyler Johnson going in mocks? Uh, he's 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 it's not going well. Uh-uh. Uh, we so we run these mocks from February uh, all the way through the NFL draft and and beyond. Uh, started out looking like a solid second rounder in dynasty rookie mocks. Started out that, exactly, and that's fading quickly. So, uh, you know, there was there was a reason he didn't come out last year. I I didn't understand why. Uh, now I'm starting to understand why. He gets no Senior Bowl invite. Brutal. Uh, yeah. If if you find a seven round mock out there, he's looking like a day three pick. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily get it, but that's. That's what that's what we're being told. So I, I think he's probably a day three pick in the NFL and a third round flyer in dynasty drafts. Every year there's a Kelvin Harmon where the fantasy gamers just don't understand it. Remember two years back, Equinemius St. Brown goes in the sixth round and dynasty leaders like, whoa, 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 he was a top Debbie guy for years. Whoa, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, Kelvin Harmon is a top Debbie guy. Whoa, whoa, what are you doing? And so we might see that with Tyler Johnson. It's going to be heartbreaking. I think Tyler Johnson's better than those guys. I think he has a chance to break out depending on his work ethic in the league. We will find out. I do think the good thing about about the way dynasty players are are addressing Tyler Johnson is we're figuring this out a little sooner. And maybe it's because of St. Brown, because of Harmon, because of, I don't know if you, have you heard of a guy named Hakeem Butler? Well, I didn't want to bring him up. <laughs> I told myself I wouldn't bring up Butler on the show. You notice he wasn't on the show sheet. You were trying to be kind to me. Who, by the way, who is this? Who is Hakeem Butler, by the way? It, it didn't go well. <laughs> he's he's rookie wide receiver one in, in March. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know. We're all, we're all flying blind early in the process. If you look at February ADP from 2019, the number one overall player was Kelvin Harmon. That's crazy to me. Yeah, if you look at it from March and uh, and April pre-draft, uh, Keem Butler was up in that mix. Oh yeah, as as a top three, top five player, wide receiver one for many people, including myself, including my friend Evan Silva, including a lot of people. Matt Waldman, hey, a lot of thought leaders had him at number one. We're not necessarily falling for the same thing. With Tyler Johnson, we're figuring out figuring it out a little sooner. I'm proud of us. Yeah, I am too. And I, and if he's a third round rookie pick, then yeah, yeah, I would I would take a shot. I have to admit, I can't envision myself drafting Tyler Johnson in the third round because I'll probably go 
running back there. In the last Dynasty mock I did, rookie draft, I picked Joshua Kelly in the third round. And I'd much rather have Joshua Kelly in the third round than Tyler Johnson. I'm not sorry. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, any any third-round pick, you're you're basically talking about uh, an, a shot at upside. And there, there are no sure things at that point. So, yeah, we can get the more, more immediate production at running back. My rookie pick position allocation is most often running back, wide receiver, running back, running back. That's my most common round by round positional allocation. Yeah, I know I know you don't like wide receiver in the first round. If if ever you were going to take wide receiver in the first round, maybe this is the year though. If CeeDee Lamb is there and all the Mount Rushmore running backs are gone, I'm pushing the button on CeeDee Lamb, bro. I love CeeDee Lamb. He's really the only one that w- that really blots out the sky for me. But the problem is, after Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, what are you going to do? I mean, there's no running backs left to pick in the late first round. You're going to go wide receiver. It's not like there's a choice. So C.D. Lamb with the with the Jets, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire with the Steelers, and you've got the 1.06 pick, and they're both there. Oh, my. I just had the 107 in a Roto Underworld mock, and I selected Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because I don't have take lock, and I'm not emotional about these things. I'm going to go Clyde Edwards-Hilaire if that's the case. Yeah, and, and with Pittsburgh especially. I hate myself doing it, but you have to lean running back. You have to lean running back. The days where you would run head first into the arms of a wide receiver in the top five, especially in a rookie draft, are over. They are dead. You agree with this? I mean, there are a a lot of finite details to dynasty strategy and and a lot of, you know, paths we could go down of the conversation. But it it could all boil down to wide receivers in startup and running backs in rookie drafts. That's right. That's right. I – use the rookie draft to replenish my running back core so I can have as many running backs on their rookie contracts as possible and then trade for wide receivers on second-year contracts. If I had to lay out a specific strategy, that would be it. That would be it. And then you can fill in the blanks everywhere else. I I mean, I have a lot of other thoughts on tight ends and quarterbacks, but I mean, if you just focused on that, young running backs and value veteran wide receivers— you're probably going to be a competitive dynasty leaguer. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's like I said, lots of other, lots of other details we could go into, but I think that's it. it kind of boils down to that. Take for example, T. Higgins. T. Higgins could go a lot of different ways in the NFL, right? Sure. I, I think what the the combine and the uh, not participating in the combine and then a disappointing pro day for him kind of reset his value a little bit, where he was being looked at as maybe a mid first rounder in the NFL and a mid first rounder in dynasty rookie drafts. Now he's at best a late first rounder in both. Yeah. Second rounder now. Yeah. Right. At that valuation, I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable with him. So if I have the one twelve, the two Oh one, that's the pick I want to spend on T Higgins and, and feel pretty comfortable with it. Not the one six, one seven, one eight. The backstop for T Higgins to me is Michael Pittman and Brandon. Ayuk. At that point, you got to go Higgins, no matter how worried you are about the athleticism. He certainly has a more impressive production profile, especially age-adjusted production profile, than Pittman and Ayuk, which were late producers. 
right? They dominated as seniors, whereas T. Higgins has the age 18 breakout year. And that's very important to me. But Michael Pittman's close. He's not far away, and I have him in my top 10. And I'm not sorry. Do you agree with that? Do you like Michael Pittman? Michael Pittman's a weird one. If you if you play Devi, play in Devi leagues, you're you're probably really worried about Michael Pittman. He enters uh, USC as a as a top re- recruit at the wide receiver position, and before he even plays a game, he's on Devi rosters in my leagues, and he didn't do much at all his freshman year. Ooh, did he get dropped in Devi? Uh, oh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't think he got dropped. Imagine getting him as a free agent in a Devi league. That's exciting. That's a fun story. He definitely became that that Devi player that that people had regrets about, though. Uh, and then that's interesting. Sophomore year a little better. Junior year a little better. He stays all four years. Uh, that's that's kind of another red flag for dynasty players. Is oh, yeah. if you don't if you don't declare, uh, usually not a good not good results. But Pittman improved in in each of his four years at USC, and he's he's a guy. You you mentioned this earlier with uh, with Moss and and uh, I don't know the other running back. But Pittman is a guy that NFL teams and and coaches seem to like a lot more than fantasy players. Uh, it's hard to find a a mock draft with him not in the second round. Oh, they love him. Yeah, I can tell you that he always had a cluster of people around him after every senior bowl practice. Right. So if, if he's a second rounder in the NFL draft, by default, he's going to be a second rounder in dynasty rookie drafts, maybe even a high second rounder. Yeah. And right now that's not the case. He's he's our 25th player overall, in, according to our latest ADP. It's going to rise. That's value. Yep, for sure. You picking him over Ayuk? No, no, no. I'll take Ayuk. Oh, you love Ayuk. You're going to go with the explosiveness. I don't love Ayuk, but I do think I think we're undervaluing him a little bit. He was productive at junior college, so it's easier to build a case for him and his age-adjusted production being better than it looks on paper than it is a Michael Pittman. Sure, sure. And, I mean, two completely different routes. And for those two guys, and, and you could even throw T. Higgins in there, maybe, maybe that's kind of that range. It comes down. It's going to come down to landing spot and draft capital. I think they're all coming off the board between the, you know, the one point twenty five of the NFL draft and the uh, two ten or so. It, they're all going in that range. Are you nervous about Brian Edwards? No, not at all. I'm excited about Brian Edwards. Good, good, good. Number one player on the breakout finder. The only player rated higher pre-draft than Ceedee Lamb. That's going to change. Lamb goes in the first round, understood. But for now, oh, the data points point to Brian Edwards breaking out in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, probably, I don't know. You you would you would know better than I. But the youngest breakout age ever is that Brian Edwards? Yeah. Does anybody? Yeah, it has to be right. It is very early. I mean, it's age seventeen. <laughs> We've never seen that. Right. Broke out before he even turned. Uh, 18 years old and he was he was consistent for South Carolina another player that stayed all four years this time last year I was disappointed because Brian Edwards went back to school and and Michael Pittman went back to school and Tyler Johnson went back to school I wanted all those guys in this class but with Edwards specifically his career was just kind of flatline like at the freshman breakout looked like the next superstar 
And then that's kind of what we, we saw that same level really all four seasons. And because of that, he's, he's viewed as a disappointment or having lost value, but that, that, uh, that South Carolina team, horrendous, horrendous at the quarterback position. We talk about it with Rager all the time, right? We talk about it with Rager. It, it's going to be a similar situation with Brian Edwards. A lot of people I know were were upset when he had the foot injury and he didn't get to work out at the combine. You know, secretly, selfishly, I was kind of happy because now that keeps right. him in the the late second round of dynasty rookie drafts. Like he's he's an easy pick anywhere in the second round as long as as long as uh, I don't know as long as Mems is off the board. Edwards in the second round for me. Bingo, bingo. Now when you just look at pure upside later on in a rookie draft. Donovan Peoples-Jones, he has exceptional athleticism, the 99th percentile burst with impressive special teams production. But Lynn Bowden is an even more impressive athlete and even more dynamic, but based on a different measuring system. Who do you think has a better excuse for not posting impressive wide receiver numbers? Well, I mean, are you talking stats or are you talking... I crafted this question specifically for you to say Lynn Bowden is better sure. than Donovan Peoples-Jones because Donovan Peoples-Jones really doesn't have an excuse at all for flaming out throughout his college career. And Lynn Bowden has every excuse because the team said, listen, man, we get you're a great receiver, but we really need you at the most important position because you're so good. You're so great at football. Yeah, so Lynn Bowden almost led Kentucky in receiving in his final year, almost, and he played, I think, three games at wide receiver and played all of the rest of the games at quarterback. He led the SEC, not Kentucky, he led the SEC in rushing. What? Did he? He did. He did? He did. He led the SEC in rushing this year. Oh, my God. Yeah, sure. Oh, my God. I didn't realize that. He has a pretty good excuse for not putting up wide receiver numbers. Wow. Since since he didn't play wide receiver. Uh, and, he's, and he still almost led his team in receiving yards. The guy's really good. I like players that are good at football. So if it's up to you in the third round, you're going to go Tyler Johnson, you're going to go Lynn Bowden. In the third round of rookie drafts? Yeah. I think Bowden ends up as a second rounder in dynasty rookie drafts. Whoa! I think he'll be a day two pick in the NFL drafts. Yes! Oh, so Bowden in the third round is a pipe dream. Uh, early third round is, is is an option. Oh, baby. He, he's another player that we're uh, we're undervaluing. We got to move him up. I had to check out the numbers just to be sure. Bowden had 1,468 rushing yards, even after playing three or four games at the wide receiver position. Uh, number two in the SEC, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Kylan Hill, Najee Harris, DeAndre Swift. Keyshawn Vaughn was seventh. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Where would you have Chase Claypool if he moved to tight end? In, in this class, I think you'd have a strong chance at tight end one. Mm. I was I was both impressed and disappointed by his combine performance because it, you'll remember, Matt, entering the combine, that was a that was kind of a, a big conversation. He's going to move to tight end. He's he's such a such a big body guy. He'll just yeah, play tight end. Plotter. Yeah. And yeah. then and then he he runs he runs that 40. He puts up the numbers he does and now and now kind of that mindset changed. To me it was even more of a reason he should uh, make the transition to tight end. 
Love him as a tight end. Not super excited about him as a wide receiver. 99th percentile speed score, 92nd percentile burst score. He's 238 pounds, and he stands 6'4". It's just difficult to run all the routes. You'll never have a complete route inventory at that size, but you could be a true weapon on every down in every game situation at tight end. I think it's a no-brainer. He clearly disagrees, yep. <laughs> which is why he worked out at tight end. And, hey, 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 all right, fine. Who are your top three tight ends without Chase Claypool? Yeah, it's 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 a pretty gross class, honestly. I, I'm yeah. excited in some ways about about these guys. I just I can't find any separation. Hunter Bryant, tight end one for me. Alberto tied in two after that combine. Uh, Incredible. Bryson Hopkins tied in three. I mean, Alberto running a four four nine at two hundred and fifty eight pounds. Yeah, unreal. Wow, wow. There's a ninety nine percentile speed score right there, but that's even higher than Chase Claypool's. Yeah, I got to I, I got the chance to be in the building while while these guys were running their forties uh, last month and. That had to be the the story, at least of the of the night, was Alberto because I don't think anybody saw that coming, him running like that. How do you have him behind Hunter Bryant? Like I said, it, it's we're kind of picking nits. I, I I still I'm still excited about Bryant. Uh, was a little disappointed with his combine, but entering that he was he was more of a solid tight end uh, tight end one for me, and he's so young. It's real, yeah, yeah. That helps. Uh, he's twenty. It's crazy. It'll all come down to to landing spot and draft capital. That's the thing. All these tight ends are gonna get all mixed up, thrown up in the air, and redistributed after the draft more than the other positions. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it it seems like the NFL likes Cole Komet. I don't really care so much about Cole Komet. So eh, we'll see. NFL likes him. NFL likes him. They like Troutman too. I, I like Troutman. I, I They like Adam Troutman. I like Troutman. NFL likes Troutman. I've got Troutman over Komet. Troutman's my hot take. I'm allowed one hot take on the rankings. Troutman's my hot take. I have Troutman at tight end one. Okay. <laughs> I'm right. posting him up there. He's the man. He's the man. I was super impressed seeing him at the Senior Bowl, and that's what I'm going on. I don't think that's even – I think it's hard to have a hot take – at the tight end position this year because they are so there's so little separation between them here. If you want a hot take pre combine pre injury, Thaddeus Moss was my tight end one. Well, yeah, now that has sadly changed. I've seen a lot of analysts boosting Bryson Hopkins up their rankings, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, a, just, just a solid guy. Yeah. He's just solid, but I don't know why you would, reach for a player that doesn't really move the needle like Bryson Hopkins. If anything, maybe a, a Dalton Keene. Dalton Keene flashed the explosiveness that you like to see from the tight end position at the Combine. 71st percentile speed, 72nd percentile speed score, 74th percentile burst, and then great agility. I could see someone like that finding a home in the NFL and excelling, but sort of prefer a guy like that to just a, a guy that was a solid producer it doesn't have a lot else on his profile. But again, I think this is going to be a class to forget at tight end. But we're going to look back at the, at the big four running backs in this class and be like, oh, this was a great running back class just based on the big four. 
So you agree there is a Mount Rushmore, and then Hilaire is after the big four. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay, good. And I think the fun discussion there is Acres. Where does Acres fit in? Because for so long, uh, through most of the of the college season, the regular season, and now into this early uh, draft process, it's been the big three, and then Acres. And then where does Acres fit in? I think it's the big four. And if you tell me you have Acres over, over J.K. Dobbins or over DeAndre Swift, I don't think that's out of line at all. And he may get drafted before Jonathan Taylor. If Jonathan Taylor doesn't go to the third round, man. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember the take <sighs> from early in the college season that Cam Akers would be an undrafted free agent? Yes, I remember that. Yes. Oh, he's a knucklehead. Yeah, he's a knucklehead. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. I love that. I love that. I'm also very interested to see how this whole uh, Antonio Gibson situation plays out. Oh, yeah, I am too. I have no idea. Where do mocks, where do the NFL mock drafters think he's going? Uh, well, it's not good. Uh, again, basically locking him in as a day three pick, uh, uh, six, sixth or seventh round. Yeah, that's that's been a disappointment for me. I think they're wrong about that. I think the media guys are wrong about that. I think they don't realize what the NFL teams know. To me, he seems like the classic guy that would be a top secret project. Mm-hmm. in an NFL front office, and you're not allowed to tell your media friends how much we as an organization are infatuated with this Antonio Gibson. I can see that. Yeah, I mean, we don't even we don't know if this guy is going to play running back or receiver. He's coming out of the Memphis backfield where there's somehow like half a dozen NFL prospects over the past couple of years, and he's what? 71 touches and is it nine touchdowns, 11 touchdowns, something, something crazy, crazy Crazy. production, crazy, uh, with, with limited work. So I, I just wish we had a little more, a little more, you know, information on him as far as what, what's he even going to play? I think he needs to stick at running back. He, to me, he's like a a better version of Latavius Murray. Uh, And, and that's, that's, Pretty good. You know, that might not be something that's really exciting to, to fantasy players because Latavius Murray is is just what he is. But when he entered the league, Matt, you'll remember this. Latavius Murray was exciting. Yeah. I remember. I'm old enough to remember when the fantasy gamers were legitimately excited about Latavius Murray. That was a thing. That's a thing that happened. Yeah. I also think that they're asleep at the wheel on Joshua Kelly. I'm seeing him fall the third round, as I mentioned earlier, and... That's fine. Maybe he falls to the fourth round in some leagues. The mock drafters don't think he's worth much. It's just me and Maurice Jones-Drew alone on an island <laughs> touting Joshua Kelly. And that's fine. That's fine. Uh, I wish I could have picked my ally because uh, I'm looking at the Maurice Jones-Drew rankings. They're interesting. Well, <laughs> it goes as follows. DeAndre Swift, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, J.K. Dobbins, Cam Akers. Hey. There we go. Uh, Zach Moss. <laughs> Jonathan Taylor at six, Joshua Kelly at seven. Yay! But he went to UCLA, so it doesn't count. Where did uh, where MJD play college ball? UCLA. Yeah. Joshua Kelly? Yeah. UCLA. Yep. UCLA. <laughs> yep. Yep. Doesn't count. Doesn't count. Uh, someone named Mike Warren, who I had to look up. Eno Benjamin. That's fine. And then Levante Bellamy at 10. And that's just ridiculous. <laughs> 
So I, I mentioned it earlier. It, it, Clyde Edwards Hilaire has been comped to MJD quite a bit. So looking at these, it's not really a shocker to, to see Clyde Edwards Hilaire rank highly in, uh, in MJD's rankings. MJD was a bowling ball, super high BMI. And to watch him run that 40, you talk about the impressive 40s back through time when they go, they take you into the time machine at the combine, back to you know 40 times of the past. The most fun 40 time to watch was MJD. To see his legs moving that fast, <laughs> such a stout and powerful individual, and the opposite of a long strider, to see him moving like a cartoon character down the runway was amazing to watch. And so, okay, I, I'm here for that. I'm here for that. I'm here to watch Clyde Edwards Hilaire do something similar. And then what does he do? He runs a 4-6. Hmm. So there's no way you could compare the guy that runs a sub 4-4 to the guy that runs a 4-6. They're not comparable. <laughs> MJD still likes him, though. That's all that matters. Oh, he likes him. Yeah, he likes him. You're you're in good company with your with your Joshua Kelly love. He likes Joshua Kelly. He likes Clyde Edwards Hilaire for all the wrong reasons. You got you got to sell me on Kelly. So here's my thing. I need a guy to check mark the workhorse running back boxes to the extent where I can say, okay, I'm in. I'm on board. This guy can carry the load, and this guy can be an RB one in fantasy. I can absolutely see it, and that means he has the size. That means he has the athleticism. That means he has the college production. That means he has the receiving skills. We know that DeAndre Swift has those things. We know that Cam Akers has those things. We know that J.K. Dobbins has those things. I'm also confident that Keyshawn Vaughn has those things based on his stats, his athletic testing, and what we saw at the Senior Bowl. And the same is true for Joshua Kelly. Joshua Kelly has the requisite size. He's 210-plus pounds. That's critical. He went out and ran a sub 4.540, and that's 80th percentile. He also had 70th percentile agility. And the big question mark was, well, why only 11 receptions in his final year at UCLA? Well, I don't know why that happened. Let's go to the Senior Bowl and watch him catch passes out of the backfield. And I was more impressed with Joshua Kelly as a receiver than I was Eno Benjamin mm -hmm. during the Senior Bowl. And that allied my concerns. I said, okay... I believe this guy's a great receiver. He was also super gracious in giving me as much time as I wanted to talk to him. And I interviewed him after the practice. Um, it was telling that no one cared to talk to Joshua Kelly when everyone was trying to talk to Michael Pittman and uh, Adam Troutman. So that was interesting. Yeah, I had all the time in the world <laughs> with Joshua Kelly, which is a slight concern. But he lands on UCLA coming from junior college after not being recruited out of high school. And what does he do? He rushes for over 1,200 yards and 12 touchdowns and 27 receptions on 37 targets. And he does that in his first season with the team. Remember when C.J. Anderson went to Cal from junior college, he was never able to really become the primary back. He was always asked to share the backfield with other running backs. Not so with Joshua Kelly. For them just to give him the keys, the guy steps, steps onto campus after playing somewhere else, and like, job's yours. You're great. Go. And yeah, post a 33.2% 77th percentile dominator rating. So I'm like, okay, well, God, this guy's super productive, not in a great offense. He has the, the full spectrum of skills that you're looking for at running back. He just doesn't have the respect of Devi leaguers because 
He wasn't even in the main college football system. Didn't play in Division One. So, of course, Debbie Leaguers don't care about him. And it takes time for him to develop the respect in NFL scouting circles. But he did. He eventually got invited to the Senior Bowl. And that matters to me, too. Mm-hmm. That shows he's on the radar. He's invited to the Combine. He's invited to the Senior Bowl. And he's playing a lot. So a lot of reps at the Senior Bowl and significant touches in the Senior Bowl itself. And then you see him ranked in the top seven by Maurice Jones-Drew, who is the fantasy analyst with the best NFL resume. And you can start to see, okay, maybe this guy is more highly regarded in NFL circles than he is in fantasy circles. And maybe he's drafted in the top 10 running backs. And if he's drafted in the top 10 running backs and he has this profile, which points to NFL bell cow, you have to put him in your top 10 rookie running backs. I think you have to. All right. All right. You did it. You did a pretty good job there. I don't know if I'm going top 10, but I'm going to check my rankings and see if he can move up some. You should move him up. You should move him up. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. He's a better player than Eno Benjamin, for example. He's bigger and more skilled than Eno Benjamin. I think there's a much higher likelihood that Joshua Kelly breaks out of that satellite back archetype and becomes a primary back than Eno Benjamin. Eno Benjamin, I think, is underrated as well. But these guys have all-purpose skill sets. They were monster producers in college, and, and I do like that. I like that. And all else being equal... If I need to draft a guy for my Dynasty League for his full rookie contract, he'll be on my roster, presumably. I'd rather have a guy like Joshua Kelly than a guy like A.J. Dillon who's not going to catch passes. Yeah, the A.J. Dillon, I was so excited by A.J. Dillon's combine uh, work, especially as 40, because immediately after that, we start seeing him, Matt, I'm glad you're sitting down. We start seeing him as a first round rookie pick in our mock drafts. No. First rounder. Not A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon. PPR? In PPR? A.J. Dillon. PPR. No, stop it. A late first rounder. Get out. I would not take A.J. Dillon in the first round. Let me start by saying that. Mm. I don't think I'd take A.J. Dillon in the second round unless he, he he needs to have a really nice landing spot where I can see an immediate role. Yeah, he needs early down touches. He needs that first and second down work. Not that many spots can guarantee that. I, I don't really want him at all. So no. he's going to be one of those that when he's drafted in my leagues, I kind of do a little tiger fist pump that somebody I like more fell to me. He's offsetting someone else in the draft that will land right in your lap. So, do you remember a big, strong, athletic Boston College running back that wasn't necessarily efficient at the college level, but man, did he check all the boxes at the combine? Do you remember this guy? Uh, Remind me. His name was Andre Williams. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Little fella named Andre Williams goes to the Giants. And after catching almost no passes at the college level, but damn it if he wasn't a great athlete at the combine. And then a funny thing happened. He stunk. (laughs) 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 He just didn't have the instincts. And I know he broke a lot of tackles and the offensive line wasn't great at Boston College. And that's all impressive. But if you weren't an efficient runner and you weren't catching passes, I can't vault you up among the top running backs. It's just, it's, it's, no, no, no. 
No, yeah, let someone else hope that NFL teams can find a way to give him volume. We'll see. We'll see. Hey, if he gets volume, he's going to produce. That's the nature of the running back position. That's how it's going to happen. But don't be surprised when the Eno Benjamin has a much longer and productive career, even though he's not nearly as impressive in the weigh-in in the athletic testing. But he was a monster producer and super active in the passing game at Arizona State, and that matters to me. If he's Duke Johnson, that's okay. I mean, Duke Johnson's been productive throughout his career. He just hasn't been an RB1. Yeah, I think Duke Johnson is is probably his upside. And like you said, yeah. that that is okay. We we throw out Duke Johnson. We throw out Latavius Murray for some of these players. And uh, you know, not not everybody is going to be the next uh, the next David Johnson or the next Christian McCaffrey or whatever. Some sometimes we just need these solid producers, especially in PPR leagues. And I think Benjamin can be that. Yeah. Um, I think there's there's a, quite a few running backs in this class that could be that that next pass catching back I, the one i'm liking the best is is darrington evans hey I, just, I, just, I was hoping you would say that i was staring at his name on the show sheet and i'm like please say darrington evans and then you said darrington evans he's exciting man he he's he's a better naheem hines i think and i like naheem hines i like Ooh. hines Ooh, i do too but i like darrington evans as well yeah you could pick an ideal landing spot for Darrington Evans. Where would it be? Well, Tampa. Tampa would be fun. Tampa. They need a satellite back. Ronald Jones is in a satellite back. Ronald Jones is nothing. Ronald Jones is not a workhorse. He's not a satellite back. He's a whole bunch of nothing. Yes, they're going to play Ronald Jones between the tackles because he can't catch. He's not good at running routes or catching the ball. That's fine. You want to do that? You want to run Ronald Jones on first and second down? Fine. Just make sure Darrington Evans is in there in passing situations. I bet Darrington Evans can already pass block better than Ronald Jones. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a few a few teams, I'm sure, that could use a pass catching back. And in fact, almost every team could use a player like Darrington Evans. Tom Brady, would you like a more explosive James White? He's like, yeah, how do I get that? <laughs> like, whoa, we have this guy named Darrington Evans. He's going to be available in the second half of the draft. We'll draft him for you, buddy. Hey, thank you. Oh, thank you, Tom. No, thank you, Tom. No, thank you. Oh, so so good to talk to you, Tom. Oh, good. Pleasure's all mine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anyone not invited to the combine at the running back position that you're monitoring? You know, it's, it's such a weird year with, with no pro days or limited pro days, I guess I should say. No, no visits, no medicals. It's weird. I, I saw it thrown out by... By one of the big names, it was, I don't know, Daniel Jeremiah maybe said this, but it it does make sense that we're going to see fewer non-combine invitees be drafted because of that, because the the NFL teams just don't, just don't know. They're black box prospects if we don't know their athleticism, but if they had an early pro day, then they have a chance. Jason Huntley. Oh, yeah. Have you seen Jason Huntley? 4-4-5-40? That's after it was adjusted. He ran a 4-4 flat. And the 132.7 94th percentile burst score with the 90th percentile college target share. Because, yes, he is a satellite back. He's 5'9", 188. But he was a dominant producer, super efficient, 7.1 yards per carry, and very active in the passing game. I like Jason Huntley. He's the sleeper satellite back in this class. Nice. So let me let me go back to your previous question. I am now monitoring one non-combine oh, running back. There it is. I'm giving you the answer. The answer is Jason Huntley. Hey, 
Yeah. Now I am. Yes. What I meant to say, what I meant to say. Yeah. Jason Huntley. That's, that's a good one. New Mexico state, right? He's a fun player. Yeah. Yeah. He's a super fun player. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Danny Kelly from the ringer brought him to my attention. We talked about Cortland Sutton, right? So there's a danger that Cortland Sutton, based on the mocks, we're seeing Denver taking wide receiver early. Cortland Sutton's target share is at risk. Projected target share for 2020 is not certain. I, I really hope CeeDee Lamb doesn't go there. That would be the worst case scenario to neutralize Cortland Sutton and have to have Drew Locke as your quarterback would just be <laughs> the worst for CeeDee Lamb. I hope it doesn't happen. So we're hoping more like a Henry Ruggs. That'd be much better for Cortland Sutton. Who is that guy, though, that we're assuming is who we've already gone out and pushed a player who's mid-ascent. It hasn't quite happened for more than a season yet, but we're all assuming it's going to happen. And you can see the speculators rushing to get this player, especially in startups. Of the players like that, you know, in that Cortland Sutton category, who do you think's most at risk from the NFL draft? You're going to look up and be like, face palm, what the hell? Yeah. Uh, well, I think one already happened. Um, and that's Christian Kirk. Uh, he was, he was already being viewed as, as a fantasy wide receiver one potentially, and, and maybe even the Cardinals wide receiver one. It, it just never, just, just never made sense. Uh, he kind of is what he is and that that's not bad, but the, the Hopkins move of course alters his value. It tells you what the coaches thought of Christian Kirk, that he is a complimentary receiver. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a couple more in, in different categories of, of the Cortland Sutton range. You know, the 49ers have to add a wide receiver. They do. They have to. They do. That would throttle Debo Samuel. You know, if it's someone really good, if it's Rager, that's going to throttle Samuel a bit. Well, they're going to have a couple of chances. So they, of course, they trade the they trade for the Colts pick, which I think is thirteen overall. So that's that's Lamb, Judy territory. Oh. They have the they have the late first. I, I would assume it's thirty one overall. That's Rager territory or T Higgins or Mims or Brandon Ayuk. Um, so th- they've got a couple of chances to hurt. Debo Samuel's value. And, and we already know Debo Samuel is not that prototypical, uh, really not a prototypical wide receiver at all. Certainly not a prototypical wide receiver one. So his value could be damaged on draft weekend. We've been asked about Debo Samuel, why he's not closer to AJ Brown on the dynasty rankings. And it's like, they're different guys. Yeah. AJ Brown is a prototypical alpha. Debo's not. We need to see more from Debo. I'm sold on A.J. Brown, who's also two years younger than Debo Samuel. I hope Mims doesn't go to San Francisco because that would be worst case scenario for Debo Samuel. We want a complimentary player who can stretch the field ideally like a K.J. Hamler, like a Henry Ruggs. And with T. Higgins, that type of player would be an outside bully receiver, not redundant with Debo Samuel, keep him at slot flanker. You could see that not affecting his target share as much. Whereas if it's Mims, I'm not happy. If it's Justin Jefferson, I'm not happy. Yeah, I think uh, I think another player that's almost certain to lose value, he's not in that, that Debo or, or Sutton range in value anymore, uh, is, is on Johnson. Uh, oh, the Lions are... They're telegraphing it, aren't they? 
They really are. They really are. And, <laughs> and they should be. Yeah. Like, carry on is, is he's, he's a talented player, but he just hasn't really given them anything. And dynasty players are valuing him like he has. I mean, it was last preseason. He was a second round startup pick, which is, was unreal. That's crazy to me. You'd rather have Clyde Edwards Hilaire at this point than Carrion Johnson. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And they might end up on the same team. They're going to add one of these running backs and it, what it will probably do, it will certainly hurt carry on's value. It'll probably be viewed as a negative for that rookie. And if it's Clyde Edwards Hilaire, if it's Jonathan Taylor or Dobbins, they're going to fall down a little bit in, in the draft. And once we do our actual drafts versus mocks and, and then you can take advantage. What about Devin Singletary and Daryl Henderson? I'm probably a little more worried about Singletary because you, you look at the Rams, they, uh, they obviously made that move to move on from Gurley, but they still have Malcolm Brown, who they have, have proven that they, they like. They played him over Daryl Henderson already. They uh, signed him away. I think that was the Lions, actually, who tried to sign him last year. <laughs> the Lions. The Lions. <laughs> they, they just can't get it right. These Patriots rejects like Matt Patricia, Bill O'Brien. I, I like to think of them in a rowboat. Just flailing around, not knowing how the oars work, not in unison, just going in circles and never, not making any progress ever. That's what's happening. But uh, the the Rams, they've they've got Henderson and Brown, so you could you could tell a story that they don't add a running back until day three. The Bills, it's it's Singletary or bust, and I think that means they use an earlier pick on a running back, and that. Could be bad news for Devin Singletary. Yeah, I'm worried about that too. Which free agent move improved the player's dynasty value most? Because you would agree, if you switch teams, you're likely diminishing your dynasty value. But there are a handful of occasions where you do get a boost. Who got the biggest boost? Uh, well, following following that uh, theory, which is one I agree with, I'm going to stick with a player who did not change teams, uh, Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake is, we're oh, now well, looking at him yeah. as as a potential RB1 in, in Dynasty, and he, he is an RB1 in early uh, best ball redraft leagues. Uh, I, in fact, I saw one, I think it was an FFPC league, where he was drafted in the first round uh, just this weekend. So The two biggest movers on our Dynasty rankings, Austin Eckler and Kenyon Drake this offseason, and it's not even close. Yeah. So Drake is is one that I think really benefited. It it wasn't a, a necessarily a free agent move, but it was it was happening at that same time and it was impacted by free agency uh, was the Falcons trade for Hayden Hurst. Uh, I think he gets a big boost. That's right. Walking into that starting job in Atlanta. That's a great call. I forgot about Hayden Hurst. We moved him up the rankings after the draft because of course, but he was freed. Yeah. I hadn't thought much about him since. I'm glad you brought him back up. Yeah, and he, he's a player that, <laughs> among fantasy players, probably among Ravens fans, kind of has a negative stigma because he was he was drafted before Lamar Jackson. He was drafted well before Mark Andrews. And, and because the success of those two players, he's kind of been viewed as a bust, as a, as a wasted pick. And he's very old, and he has a thinning hairline. He is very old. Uh, he's got the long hair, though. That long red hair. He has hair. a long, thinning hair. That's never a good look, man. 
No. He's a little bit delusional about his hair. It's like, <laughs> he, dude, have you, have you noticed? Wait, you haven't noticed? There's not much of it left? Maybe trim it? Do something different? I don't know. Maybe. In that offense, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. You got to like Hayden Hurst. He's a starter. He's a fantasy starter also. He's the starter for the Falcons. You saw what Austin Hooper did, and it's not like Austin Hooper has this you know, exceptional prospect profile coming out of Stanford. Much of Austin Hooper's production last season can be attributed to the offensive situation and the game situations the team found themselves in. It was a lot of negative game script. They were passing the ball. They had to. team was losing a lot. It wasn't going to Julio Jones. It wasn't going to Calvin Ridley. It was going to Austin Hooper on that play. And there's going to be a lot of passes going in the direction of Hayden Hurst. And I'm always looking for the next value tight end to tout. Because I don't overpay for tight ends. And if one of my tight ends breaks out all over the place, trade him. Because I'm going right back to the player pool to pick up or trade for a Jonu Smith, an Ian Thomas, a Blake Jarwin. And now, and now... Hayden Hurst. Hayden Hurst, baby! <laughs> yeah! So which of the free agent moves was the biggest head scratcher for you? Uh, so this this one hurts on many levels because I love I love Randall Cobb. I love Randall Cobb. I'm a Kentucky football fan. We don't get many wins. We don't get many guys to celebrate in the NFL. And Randall Cobb has been one of them. But wasn't it a win that he's perhaps the number one in Houston? it's a win for him. He got paid. It's a big win. It was a head scratcher that he went there. That's where they're going to use their resources. But for him, he's going up the rankings. He has to. He's only 29. Did you know? Did you know, Ryan? Of course you know, because you're a Kentucky fan. Randall Cobb's 29. Oh, oh, mind blown. He's been around forever. Entered the league as as a, as a very young rookie. He did. He He's kind of like our, our Lynn Bowden. He... Played a little quarterback, played a little running back at Kentucky. Uh, metrics probably didn't look great because of that as far as breakout age and, and market share and some of those things. Breakout finder liked him because the breakout finder loves dynamic score. It's why it's higher than consensus on Lynn Bowden. Dynamic score, Lynn Bowden. <laughs> breakout alert, Lynn Bowden. <laughs> I can't believe you love Lynn Bowden. I'm so happy you love Lynn Bowden. Of course I do. Of course I do. I'm I'm just glad uh, I'm glad you're giving me some some data and it doesn't just have to be a a Homer uh Kentucky pick. Oh no, yeah. You you look like Lynn Bowden. We're going to like you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the, I mean the Cobb the Cobb signing it it helps him, but from the Texans perspective, it you know, I, I like Will <laughs> Fuller. He can't so he can't right stay healthy. Texans perspective. Hey, we lost DeAndre Hopkins, but we got Cobb. <laughs> I love Randall Cobb. I love Randall Cobb, but in this particular situation, he happens to be part of a punchline, a Bill O'Brien <laughs> punchline. And I <laughs> I like Bill O'Brien punchlines even more than I like Randall Cobb. Do you like Cam Newton? Oh, of course. I'm worried. But I like him. We're all worried about Cam Newton. What's going to happen to him? He's getting jacked. He's posting Instagram videos, working out at home, and he looks huge. Yeah, he's 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 got plenty of free time. He's running out of options. I really want him to go to the Chargers. It looks like that's not going to happen. Why not? Come on. <sighs> I think they're trying to tank. I think they're tanking. They're tanking. 
yeah, I don't, I don't know what they're doing. It's, it's hard to figure out what they're doing. Uh, the, the Patriots are, who knows what the Patriots are doing. They need a quarterback. Cam is out there. Winston is out there. They're playing hardball. That's what they're doing. The Patriots are playing hardball as, as they always do. Well, I get playing hardball if you're trying to trade for Andy Dalton or Jacoby Brissett, but I mean, these guys are, these guys are free, right? Cam, Cam is free. Winston is free. Yeah, they want to sign him for less than they want to play for. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's the problem. That's the problem. And if you're the Bears, you feel pretty stupid. Going out and getting Nick Foles when you could have had Cam Newton, pretty dumb. But it's it's not just a matter of, you know, it's not a matter of bad timing. You know, they can't say, oh, oh, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't foresee this. We didn't know Cam Newton was going to get cut. We didn't know Cam Newton would be available in a trade. Right. So you just, you know, the bears are going to do something to, to try to help that quarterback situation. And, and there's, there were so many options, even if you went the Dalton route or, or, or whatever, Foles should have been playing like F. That's right. That's right. It's bears, man. The bears are going to bear. It's not a, Patriots washout leading that front office, but I think that Ryan Pace belongs in that rowboat with Bill O'Brien and Matt Patricia. Yeah, yeah, he totally does. So people respect your opinion very much. So let's just skip the foreplay here. Okay. And just tell the people who your highest owned player is in Dynasty. Just come out with it. Uh, You know, it's probably actually still Randall Cobb. Oh, there it is. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's the answer. I love that. Okay, give us one more. Go a little higher. Uh, lots of Austin Eckler for sure. Uh, I'd say I'd say he's at least fifty percent owned. I think I'm I think I'm at uh, around twelve to fifteen dynasty leagues. Have Austin Eckler on at least half of those. Have a lot of Miles Sanders for yes. sure. Miles Sanders and Austin Eckler. That's amazing. Satellite back plus all day, baby. Austin Eckler also has a workout program on Instagram. This guy was reading a book while doing one-hand pull-ups. <laughs> I need to check that out. I kid you not. His girlfriend was standing on his back while he did push-ups. This guy's a stud. He's a total stud. He's undersized, though. Are you putting him on the block just to see what you can get now? I mean, everybody's always on the block, first of all, but... I- I don't think we're seeing we're seeing ADP rise with Eckler. We're seeing uh, trade value rise, but I still think he's compared to what he's going to give you uh, on Sundays. I think he's still being undervalued. So more meat on the bone for Austin Eckler. Now is not the time to sell. Yeah. Who are you putting on the block aggressively? Who are you shopping? I would be shopping Travis Kelsey if I can get Mark Andrews. Ooh. So if I can trade Kelsey for Andrews plus, yeah, uh, I, I I would look at that. Andrews is closing in on Kelsey post Hayden Hurst trade. We now have Mark Andrews as the number three tight end in fantasy, and he's creeping up close to Travis Kelsey in projected lifetime value. It's getting close, man. And I think you have, you have other tight end options if you want to go down the 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 board a little bit more. Uh, you look at. And then, of course, that means in a in a potential trade, if you're trading Kelsey, you're getting this this replacement plus. So maybe it's Noah Fant and a first round pick. Maybe it's 
TJ Hawkinson and a couple of picks. Especially uh, in the tight end premium. You can get a lot for Kelsey. Right, right. Uh, so Kelsey would be one I would be looking to sell. Ezekiel Elliott, DeAndre Hopkins. Guys still being valued as first round dynasty startup picks that I'm not confident. We fast forward a year from now, uh, especially like, you know, God forbid that we don't even have a season. Now these guys are uh, are a year older and, and nothing to show for it. DeAndre Hopkins lost value after getting traded. He has to. He has to build brand new rapport with a quarterback and compete with Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk. And he's a year older. So you add all those factors. How could you move him up? You would have to move down. Not a lot. He's DeAndre Hopkins, but you have to get real, man. I think dynasty players get so excited. You know, it's like the Madden effect or, or whatever. But we get so excited by offseason movement. And when a player gets traded, when a player signs with a new team, we automatically become more interested in that player. Right. So we see we we see briefly a value spike, deserve it or not. Yeah. Uh, and then reality sets in. No thanks. No thanks. You have him below Amari Cooper now. Not sorry. Uh, I've got my uh, I've got my anything for Amari shirt on today. So I'm I'm on board with that. You're on board, Amari Cooper over DeAndre Hopkins. That's not consensus. But then again, we're not always consensus. We're just always right. Usually. <laughs> A lot. Most of the time. Most of the time. Truth or status, I'll get you out of here. Who's hanging on to your final taxi squad spot? Who's hanging on, baby? Oh, not not hanging on, getting ready to claim it. Lynn Bowden. No, 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 no. He has to be he has to be in the league a while. You you're holding on because you know you're a truther. More like a player that others are maybe dropping, but you're like, I'm not ready to drop yet. This is an easy one too, then. Damian Harris. Let's go back one year. Damian Harris was the guy. We don't talk about Damian Harris anymore. No one does. Damian who? Did he go to to Alabama? We know Sony Michelle stinks. Damian Harris didn't get much of a chance last year. I'm still, I'm still hanging on. Is is that, that, that's why I'm not a truther on anybody. I didn't even know what it meant. You're hyper rational with your taxi squad management. You don't like to hold on to players that don't deserve to be rostered. So it's a, Difficult question for you. Damian Harris was a perfect response because he's a guy we're forgetting about. But if we agree that Sony Michelle is washed, then wouldn't that necessarily mean that Damian Harris is a value? One plus one equals two, right? I mean, I know the world has changed, but one plus one still equals two. <laughs> Get Damian Harris. <laughs> I mean, I know the world has changed, but one plus one still equals two. Get Damian Harris. I'm going to make some Damian Harris trade offers. Except I have him already. I have him everywhere. You should. You should. Yeah, I mean, the the offense is going to stink, but he might be the starter. If Cam Newton's the quarterback, then he's freezing linebackers and Damian Harris is running wild. Oh, I love it. I love it. 
If the season doesn't start, that's going to be a real big problem. Oh my gosh, I can't. Uh, yeah, I can't even. I can't even imagine. Well, Herb Street said the thing. Herb Street had to be the first out of the out of the gate. Yeah, I don't. I mean, somebody was going to say it. Somebody was going to say they shouldn't have a season. I don't know. I'm trying to concoct a, a plan, maybe for the monologue of the show, where they can guarantee the season happens. Like, you know, have these guys all go somewhere together. Yeah. You know, and stay together and train together. And I don't know. It's a mess. Well, I mean, you heard, did you see what China basketball did? What do they do? So they, of course, they're kind of ahead of us on all this. But so they said like early, gosh, gee, like early March, they said that they were going to come back the first week of April. Oh. So then like last week, they changed that and said they weren't going to be ready. They were going to come back late April mm-hmm. or early May. But their, their plan is they're taking, and I don't know how many teams there are in the Chinese basketball, whatever. But they're taking all the teams. They're putting them in two cities, isolating them in these wherever, arenas, hotels, I don't know. But they're basically separating the teams, the players and, and coaches from from everybody else. And they're playing with no fans uh, in, in just two cities. For the TV money alone, they've got to do. The, they've got to have these games, fans or no fans. Yeah, fans are a, a pipe dream at this point. Having fans there, <laughs> like whoa, whoa, hold on. Yeah, you know that's a whole other step. Like let's just get these guys playing. I guess they would all get tested by the time the season starts. The idea is that there will be a forty-five minute test. Well, it sounds like there is already, or, or really close, right? So, Well, that's widely distributed that all the teams can have access to yeah, pregame. Yeah, sure, sure. Everyone pregame, everyone comes in. It's the coaches and Tom Brady who are at risk. <laughs> old, old person joke. So. Old man joke. Classic, classic old person takedown. Tom Brady. Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah, I didn't see. I also didn't see him becoming like uh, the next Herbalife CEO coming either. I mean, wow, look at you. He, I mean, I could see him on stage talking to his multi-level marketing sales army. Oh, yeah. You know, convincing their friends to sling TB12. <laughs> Right? Oh my gosh. You go, well, you got to buy $10,000 of it, put it in your garage. <laughs> and then you got to find 10 other people who will take your supply from your garage and put it in their garage. And then they've got to find 10 people who will take their TB12 supplements and, and put it in their garage and so on. I believe that's called a pyramid scheme, uh, Tom. So, uh, got to meet your quotas. I could absolutely see Tom Brady being the master of the universe at the head of a pyramid scheme. I, I can absolutely see it with, you know, with the eye, the Masonic eye. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I could totally see it. I, I, it seems like his destiny cult leader. He's already that. He kind of is right. He already has like, uh, he's already got that part down. Everybody that's around him reveres him and he's eccentric. He has weird behavior and lifestyle choices so probably has a pet monkey 
<laughs> you know, he's super disciplined. He only has dessert once a week, and it's one scoop of avocado ice cream. Fuck you. <laughs> Honestly, fuck off with your avocado ice cream, Tom. Love the guy, though. Great guy. Best player ever. Jesus with the ice cream. Enough. So disciplined. Oh, my God. Oh, and the TB12. Yes, yes. Of all the people in the world, Tom Brady figured out a better vitamin. I mean, give me a break. Who's more important in the NFL this year, Tom Brady or Joe Brady? Oh, Joe Brady's a big deal. Yeah, he is. Joe Brady's a big deal because they have the whole notion of importing an entire college coaching system to the NFL hangs in the balance because you could either go the direction of bringing in Ron Rivera and the retreads. Yeah. It's kind of like the Expendables, the movie. Bring in the same guys from the same action movies. <laughs> right? Bring in Ron Rivera and the retreads. Or let's do something crazy, like bring in guys with ideas. We're going to actually bring in some guys with some real ideas from places like Baylor and LSU. There, there, there's a lot at stake in Carolina, man. There is. It's going to be fun to watch, though. It's going to be fun to watch. And they get to play the old guard every week. It's Tom Brady against the Panthers. Yeah. It's Drew Brees against the Panthers. It's Bruce Arians and Matt Ryan against the upstart Panthers that are trying to change the game. I mean, the, the NFL, they just they innovate in such increments. It's maddening. It's maddening. You saw how quick the NBA adopted analytics. It was like in a season. They were only shooting threes and layups. I think it just happened. Just boom. The NFL is like, well... <laughs> oh, Sashi Brown's pulling off some basketball trades, uh, taking draft picks to eat contracts. Whoa, whoa, that's weird. That's really weird. Get rid of him. Ugh, never again. <laughs> what? You know, Chip Kelly. Oh, Chip Kelly. He's turning up the tempo. Let's make sure we flush him out of the league as fast as possible. Man, he was just like five years too early. Dude, he made Nick Foles into a thing. He made Nick Foles the most efficient quarterback in the league in a season when Peyton Manning had one of the best seasons of all time. Yeah, and, and Foles is still making money off that. And Foles had an even better passer rating than Peyton Manning that season. <laughs> Why? Because no one knew what the fuck to do with this Chip Kelly offense for a couple seasons. But they take these innovators, they bring them in, they chew them up, they spit them out, and adopt a small fraction of what they brought with them. It, that's the incremental advancement of the NFL right there. So now we get to see what happens in Carolina when it's a wholesale change. It's close to a one-for-one one bringing over the blueprint from a college system as we've seen in a long time. Yeah, yeah I'm, ex I'm excited to see what Brady does and rule and everything. I'm just excited, yeah. yeah. The Panthers' whole front office and organization, they really took over Mobile at the Senior Bowl. Oh, really? I saw Matt Rule out on three different occasions. I saw like a couple head coaches here and there. I saw Matt Rule everywhere. It was like he was everywhere. He was omnipresent, this guy. He was just always meeting with people and talking to people and just being magnanimous. Mm -hmm. Right? And I was like, oh, wow, this guy's got a little leader thing going. He's doing a leader thing. Look at him. <laughs> you know, I like that. I like Matt Rule already. You know, he, he doesn't look the part. Right? He's not 6'2". He doesn't have a chin. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's certainly acting the part. And I'd rather the guy act the part than look the part. How about that? 
Yeah. There's plenty of coaches in the NFL that look the part. I mean, Bill O'Brien looks the part. I mean, his chin dimple is like a fissure in the earth. Right? It's like a crevasse. It's not a chin dimple, it's a crevasse. And yet he's the worst. The worst. <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, congratulations. You brought Penn State back from the brink. Well, they were at zero, right? It's like congratulating a CEO when their stock goes from two to four. Okay. <laughs> Wasn't a high bar, man. Come on. It's the only program in the whole state of Pennsylvania that matters. Of course you're going to get recruits. I mean, Hackenberg. Who could go wrong with Hackenberg? I mean, it was such a low bar. I remember it was such a low bar. Like... No, we're not going to bring in the college coach that was an innovator. We're going to bring in the college coach that, you know, helped a program that was on life support be mildly competitive. That's the new bar. Why? Oh, because he stood next to Bill Belichick at a urinal in the Foxborough facility for a couple years. And Bill Belichick yelled at him a few times on the sideline. And he has a manly chin. And that's all we need. That's all we need. The system schmissed him. It really is surprising that he still has a job. It, it's really, and then they gave him they give him more power. But it, I mean, they deserve they deserve what's happening, honestly. Well, when someone has to get fired, if the coach can Machiavellian his way around getting fired, then others will take the fall, and then there's a vacuum. There's a responsibility vacuum, and the coach can volunteer and say, "Hey, I'll I'll, I'll actually I'll fill that void in the meantime, temporarily." And then you look up, and six months later, they're still in that job. And it's like, oh, I guess we'll formally change the title. I don't even know if the owners ever really even give their 100% sign-off on this. The coach said to the administrative assistant, hey, just update my title on the database and on the website, <laughs> will you? And then the owner looks up and goes, really? You're the... You're, you do all these things now? I, I forgot that we... I don't remember us having a, a formal conversation about it, but I... Yeah, you know... I, I guess, I guess, I guess you can have all the power. We'll see what you can do, Bill. And he's like, I don't like you. I'll give you away for nothing, DeAndre. Like, <laughs> Jadavion. These are premium blue chip players. You can't win in the NFL without premium blue chip players. Come on, man. I mean, you, you give away your players and you give away your picks somehow at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, he, all you have left is Laramie Tunsil in this whole series of exchanges where you gave up all your picks and all your players. No first-rounder. Congratulations, you have Tunsil and David Johnson. The Jaguars improve. Texans will finish last. That's where they're headed. Yep. That's where they're headed. So you like the show sheet at all? It looks all right. It's pretty long. It's all right. It is pretty long, yeah. You know, I have a lot of questions, and I, I don't know if I'm going to get to them, and so if we're going along and I look at the time and, you know, we're at a certain place and, you know, I'll just skip it. Did you see MJD's rankings there? I, I had not until your email. <laughs> that, that, is the, that is something. I can basically dismiss every single one of these because I don't think any given slot that he had a player aligns with a slot where I have a player. No, I don't think so either. I'm, so I'm looking at I, it. I don't think so. But I at least respected the Joshua Kelly ranking. And then I realized he went to UCLA and I was like, oh, damn it. God <laughs> damn it. That's not even real. That's a that's a homer pick. God damn it. I think the I think the 
the Clyde rank is the most interesting. And and like if you had told me, hey, I've got MJD's rankings and they're kind of out there. They're they're a little they're a little weird. And I would have said, does he have Clyde pretty high? <laughs> yeah, does he have Clyde and Zach Moss high? Yeah, yeah. Does he have Jonathan Taylor low? Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay. I think I get it. Before we even get to Mike Warren, who I had to look up, I had to look him up. Yeah, you're you're not missing much. I had to look up. Hey, great agility, but he didn't uh, play much. I mean, it was like, why isn't he playing? This isn't Alabama. It's Iowa State. So not sure why he's not producing at all. It's like, what do you like about this guy? So 12% dominator. I was like 4.5 yards per carry, low target share, no burst. It's like, what's going on? Why do you like this? How can you like this guy? He must like something about him. I thought I was trying to put him in the rankings and I was like, oh, we're gonna have to expand to like 30 running backs if I want to get this guy in there. <laughs> Never mind. You know, I was like, I want to do MJD a solid. I want to respect the fact that he's a football player that knows some things and put Mike Warren on our rankings. Like, we got to get this guy ranked if MJD likes him. And then I looked at my rankings and I was like, nah. <laughs> nah. I'd rather have Salvan Ahmed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even if he's slow. I heard Salvan Ahmed was super fast and was going to be an electric satellite back, the combine, and then no. We've got a couple options for that. I don't think it's him. I don't think it's him. I don't think it's him. Uh, I was having problems with Nate yesterday trying to get on his little Twitter thing, talk about the breakout finders. Oh, yeah, I saw that. That's cool. A bunch of lame questions about the, about, you know, what's the difference between breakout finder and the dominator? Well, uh, they're different apps and they do completely different things. And there's a description on the app and the description of the breakout finder is completely different than the description of the Dynasty Dominator. If you would read, if you could read or cared to read, then you would have your answer. But I'm not here to read to you. You want a bedtime story? Is that what you want from me? (laughs) Fuck out of here. Stop wasting my time. (laughs) A question about, you know, how much will draft capital move these guys? And the answer is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's a good question. There were some good questions. And then, and then of course, there's like, well, when are you going to do quarterbacks? And it's like, we just rolled it out yesterday. It took a year. You're already asking for more whiz-bang features? You can't be happy for a day with what has been created? Fuck is wrong with you entitled assholes. I thought maybe the world would change. We would learn to appreciate what we have now. <laughs> And each other, but no, 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 no. Where's the quarterbacks? I need more. Oh, God. When can we get freshman and sophomore prospects loaded? More, not enough. Satiate me. This is why we don't go on here. (laughs) This is why I didn't want to go on in the first place. This is wasting my time. And then I'm talking down to people and I'm not helping and it's, you know, it's a problem. I thought that was going to be like that when I did a, a Reddit AMA because I envisioned Reddit as just this big oh my gosh. internet comment board come to life monster, but it wasn't. I get the best questions on Reddit, the fewest lazy questions. So yeah. if I'm going to do an AMA, I'll do it on Reddit. That's where, that's where I do it. I, it was surprising. I, I was shocked the first time and every time it's been consistently productive 
productive conversation on there. Just on the Fantasy Football channel or... No, the Dynasty AMA. The Dynasty Reddit. The Dynasty. Yeah, I go on the Dynasty Reddit. The Dynasty community is much more engaged and appreciative of content than the broader Fantasy Football Reddit. Nice. So I think that's part of the reason why is that the the sicko diehard Dynasty Leaguers, they congregate on Reddit, the Dynasty Reddit. And so when you have savvy, sophisticated gamers, they're going to be respectful and they're going to actually stimulate you with good questions. I didn't see that coming, so it was great. Hmm. And then we did the Q&A on Twitter and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> So, these guys. These guys. These tweeters. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, there just doesn't seem to be enough chairs when the music stops. And Zach Moss. Ugh. And it's certainly too early to state definitively whether a season should happen or not, Kirk. That's a good point. Fuck the fans. If you're not willing to pay Melvin Gordon at all, or Todd Gurley at all, you can use a second-round pick on a running back? Ugh. Jake Fromm, early second-round pick. We could have... You don't think so? Do the Texans have a first-round pick? That's a Texans-type move. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. It's the coaches and Tom Brady who are at risk. That's a good point. Donovan Peoples-Jones really doesn't have an excuse at all for flaming out. He's, 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 it's not going well. More, not enough. Satiate me. That's a really big deal. Or a really bad pick. It's just me and Maurice Jones Drew alone on an island. (laughs) But I'm not here to read to you. You want a bedtime story? Is that what you want from me? Fuck out of here. Stop wasting my time. He led the SEC, not Kentucky, he led the SEC in rushing. Oh, so bowed in the third round was a pipe dream. Well, I didn't want to bring him up. I told myself I wouldn't bring up Butler on the show. That's a good point. That's my singular focus. Just make sure this fucking season happens. Because if it doesn't happen, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. And Donison Leader's like, whoa, 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 whoa. He was a top Debbie guy for years. Whoa, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, Kelvin Armour, he's a top Debbie guy. Whoa, what are you doing? I- I'm going to check my rankings and see if he can move up some. You should move him up. You should move him up. I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to do it. Hey, we lost DeAndre Hopkins, but we got Cobb. I love Randall Cobb. Little fella named Andre Williams goes to the Giants, and after catching almost no passes at the college level, but damn it if he wasn't a great athlete at the Combine. And then a funny thing happened. He stunk. <laughs> <laughs> Dynamic score, Lynn Bowden! Breakout alert, Lynn Bowden! I can't believe you love Lynn Bowden. I'm so happy you love Lynn Bowden. Where did uh, MJD play? College ball? But he went to UCLA, so it doesn't count. He's very old, and he has a thinning hairline. He has a long, thinning hair. That's never a good look, man. He's a little bit delusional about his hair. Like he's dude, have you noticed? Wait, you haven't noticed? Hayden Hurst. Hayden Hurst, baby. Tom Brady, would you like a more explosive James White? He's like, yeah. How do I get that? Hey, 
Hey, thank you. Oh, thank you, Tom. No, thank you, Tom. No, thank you. Oh, so, so good to talk to you, Tom. Oh, good. Pleasure's all mine. Oh, yeah. But one plus one still equals two. Get Damien Harris. That's a good point. You need to go, need to, go, need to, go to Alabama? I'm going to make some Damien Harris trade offers. Except I have him already. I have him everywhere. I think that Ryan Pace belongs in that rowboat with Bill O'Brien and Matt Patricia. Lynn Bowden. We're not always consensus. We're just always right. What are you doing? Kelvin Armour, he's the top Debbie guy. What are you doing?